Welcome to Society and Culture Podcast. A perfect way to digest bite-sized episodes that cover a range of interesting topics related to society and culture. Whether you're looking for interesting facts, historical insights, or just want to be entertained, this podcast has you covered. With new episodes released every day, there's always something new to listen to. And now, here's your episode. Enjoy! Coming up, what's the story you tell yourself about yourself? Is it a positive one? Is it a critical one? Well, later, we're going to delve into how the psychology of self-image can transform your habits. But I want to start the show with a world first, an incredible story about how a completely paralyzed man, someone who's entirely locked in, has been able to communicate using, wait for it, just his thoughts. It sounds unreal, or maybe something out of a comic book, but scientists have seemingly managed to do it for a man in Germany. You might remember that almost exactly a year ago, Elon Musk's company Neuralink showed the potential of brain chips, if that's how you want to describe them, and they demonstrated it with a monkey playing the video game Pong. Do you remember that? If he moved the joystick correctly, he'd get rewarded. Eventually, he didn't need the joystick at all because he worked out that his mind could control the ball because of the brain chip. Well, that isn't too dissimilar to the science applied to this paralyzed man in Germany. In this quite amazing piece from MIT Technology Review, Jessica Hamzalou has been explaining how it works, as well as how it could hold the key for other locked-in sufferers. A completely paralyzed man has been able to communicate entire sentences using a device that records his brain activity. The man was able to train his mind to use the device, which was implanted in his brain, to ask for massages, soup, and beer, and to watch films with his son. It is the first time a completely locked-in person, someone who was conscious and cognitively able but completely paralyzed, has been able to communicate in this way say the researchers behind the work. Brain-computer interfaces record the electrical signals inside a person's brain and convert them to commands that control a device. In recent years, BCIs have enabled partially paralyzed people to control prosthetic limbs or communicate a simple yes or no by thought alone. But this is the first time someone who is completely locked in and unable even to control their eye movements, has used a BCI to communicate full sentences. It's really remarkable to be able to re-establish communication with someone in a completely locked-in state, says Jamie Henderson, a neurosurgeon at Stanford University who was not involved in the work. To me, that's a tremendous breakthrough, and obviously quite meaningful for the research participant. The man, who lives in Germany, was diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, abbreviated ALS, in August 2015, when he was 30 years old. ALS is a rare, progressive neurological disease that affects neurons involved in movement. By the end of the year, he was unable to speak or walk. Since July 2016, he has relied on a ventilator to breathe. 
He began using an eye-tracking device to communicate in August 2016. The device monitors eye movements, allowing users to select letters from a computer screen. But a year later, his condition had deteriorated, and he was no longer able to keep his eyes fixed on a particular spot. The device was now useless. His family members started to use a paper-based approach, in which a family member would hold up a grid of letters against a background of four colors. Family members would point to each color section in row and interpret any eye movement as a yes. The man and his family worried that he would eventually lose the ability to move his eyes at all, so they sought out the help of Niels Birbaumer, then at the University of Tübingen, and Ujwal Chaudhari of ALS Voice GGMBH, a nonprofit that offers BCIs and other technologies to people that are otherwise unable to communicate. On meeting the man in February 2018, Chaudhari tried to automate the communication system that the family was already using. The team connected an eye-tracking device to computer software that would read out colors and row numbers, allowing the man to select letters one at a time using his eye movements to spell out words. But as the man increasingly lost control over his eye movements, he became less able to communicate using that device, too. We proposed implanting an electrode, says Chaudhari. Tiny electrodes can be implanted in the brain to record the electrical activity of brain cells directly. The procedure, which tends to involve drilling a hole in the skull and cutting away the brain's protective layers, comes with a small risk of infection and damage to the brain. So it was a last resort, says Beer Balmer. If the non-invasive BCIs and the eye trackers don't work anymore, there is no other choice, he says. The man consented to the procedure using eye movements, says Chaudhari. His wife and sister also gave their consent. By the time the procedure had been approved by an ethics committee and Germany's Federal Institute for Drugs and Medical Devices at the end of 2019, the man had lost the ability to use the eye-tracking device. In March 2019, surgeons implanted two tiny electrode grids, each measuring 1.5 millimeters across, into the man's motor cortex, a region at the top of the brain responsible for controlling movement. The day after the electrode was implanted, the team began trying to help the man communicate. At first, the man was asked to imagine making physical movements. This has helped other recipients control prosthetic limbs and exoskeletons, and is the approach that Elon Musk's company Neuralink plans to take. The idea is to get a reliable signal from the brain and translate this into some kind of command. But the team couldn't get it to work. After 12 weeks of trying, they scrapped the idea and decided to try an approach called neurofeedback instead. Neurofeedback works by showing a person their brain activity in real time so that they can learn how to control it. In this case, when the electrodes in the man's brain recorded an increase in activity, a computer would play a rising audio tone. A fall in brain activity would play a descending tone. Within two days, he was able to increase and decrease the frequency of a sound tone, says Chaudhari, who says he visited the man in his home every weekday during 2019 until coronavirus hit. It was just incredible. The man eventually learned to control his brain activities so that he could play a rising tone to signal yes and a descending tone to signal no. 
The team then introduced software that mimicked the paper-based computer system the man had originally used to communicate with his family. The man would hear the word yellow or blue, for example, to choose a block of letters from which to select. He would then be played individual letters and use a rising or descending tone to either select or dismiss each. In this way, the man was soon able to communicate entire sentences. His family were so excited to hear what he had to say, says Chowdhury, who, along with his colleagues, published their findings in the journal Nature Communications in March 2022. One of the first sentences the man spelled was translated as, Boys, it works so effortlessly. Communication was still slow. It takes around a minute to select each letter but researchers believe the device has significantly improved the man's quality of life. He has asked for specific meals and soups, directed carers on how to move and massage his legs, and asked to watch films with his young son, for example. One sentence translated as, I love my cool son. Many times I was with him until midnight, or past midnight, says Chowdhury. The last word was always beer. Chowdhury envisions developing a catalog of frequently used words that could eventually allow software to auto-complete the man's words as he spells them. For example, there are many ways in which we could make it faster, he says. No one knows how long the electrodes will last in the man's brain, but other studies have found that similar electrodes are still functioning five years after being implanted in other people. But for a locked-in person, a single day can make a difference says Kianush Nazapur at the University of Edinburgh, who was not involved in the work. That is a fundamental opportunity for them to regain choice and control of their lives, he says. A day of high quality could be really important for that person. Nazapur thinks that the technology could be routinely offered to similarly locked-in individuals within the next 10 to 15 years. For a person that has absolutely no communication, even a yes-no is potentially life-changing, he says. Brian Dickey, Director of Research Development at the Motor Neurone Disease Association in the UK, agrees that this timeline is realistic. But he wonders how many people with motor neuron disease, of which ALS is the most common type, stand to benefit from such BCIs. The man who received the BCI has a form of ALS called progressive muscular atrophy, or PMA. This form of the disease tends to target motor nerves that travel from the spine to muscles, leaving people unable to control their muscles. But around 95% of cases of ALS also involve degeneration of the motor cortex in the brain, too, says Dickey. Even people with PMA can experience this degeneration which might explain why, since the study was completed, the man appears to have lost some of his ability to communicate. For a month or so, the man has only used the device to communicate yes or no, says Bierbaumer. I have no clue why he is only saying yes and no and not formulating sentences. But that happens from time to time, Bierbaumer says. There could be many reasons for this. It's also possible, for example, that specialized cells in the brain have recognized the electrode as foreign and clumped around it, limiting its ability to function. It could be psychological reasons, technical reasons, electrode reasons. 
but at least he is in good shape and has a good quality of life, as he communicates, says Beerbomber. If the electrode eventually fails, the man's family members might request that it be removed and replaced with another, perhaps in a different brain region. But, for now, having the ability to say yes and no is enough, says Beerbomber. The family told me, most information they needed was exchanged in the first one and a half years, he says. The family members themselves have requested privacy at this time. With yes and no, you can say many things, if you ask the right questions. I love how one of the first things that that patient asked for was beer. Like, his family are all waiting for his very first words in years, and he requests booze. I mean... Why not? Fair enough. But what an incredible story. I'm kind of fascinated by locked-in syndrome and absolutely petrified of it too. Like, I can't imagine anything much worse. So if this is step one of finding a cure for that, I am absolutely here for it. And speaking of the brain, this next piece is a really interesting one about how to trick it into making you more productive. It's all about telling yourself who you are and who you're not, your identity, your story. So how does it work? Okay, well, it's a lot to do with semantics, actually. Telling yourself and others what you stand for, your values. And sort of by changing your language ever so slightly, projecting that out into the world. Curio thinker Nir Eyal elaborates in this piece from his blog, Near and Far. Don't you hate those lessons you keep coming across and still haven't learned from? What's strange about these lessons is that often a one-time exposure to them is not enough. They are difficult lessons to learn, which you need to be stabbed in the heart by multiple times to understand, learn from, and eventually implement. These are lessons that I've ignored myself and that I stupidly dismissed as not important. Not all of them were common like you'd expect, as you are about to see for yourself. 1. When you fall on your ass, it is good. This one takes some time to grasp. Falling on our ass is a metaphor for huge struggles. Struggles like watching someone die, breaking up with someone you love, losing your job, and saying goodbye to your best friend forever. These struggles cause you to fall on your ass. It's easy to dismiss them as bad luck or completely useless situations designed to mess up your life. What good can come from them? If you have been there enough times and tried to see an alternative answer, eventually, you will see that falling on your ass is good. When everything is messed up and life seems meaningless and even cruel, that's the environment you need to create a massive change. The changes that transform your life for the better don't come wrapped up in a comfortable doona and a soft cushion for a pillow. If you can fall down enough times and see the good from it, you'll find a way to get back up and be stronger for it. From the pain comes enormous growth. 2. What you get comes down to what you help others get. Social media and the internet has made us selfish. We want to have people acknowledge the freaking awesomeness of our existence, 
and have our piping hot meal delivered in 3.5 seconds to the comfort of our own home. This is the ugliness of modern-day privilege. With privilege comes entitlement and the rejection to help others get what they want. We become so focused on ourselves and our ridiculous goals that we never dare help another person. Wrapped up in all of this selfishness is a meaningless pursuit in life that becomes boring and debilitating if lived long enough. Feeling fulfilled and living a life of meaning comes down to how hard you are willing to be selfless and help others win. 3. The answer is in what you did last night. I listened to a lady the other day describe her dream to be a scriptwriter. The dream was one she wanted for a very long time, and she was getting on in life feeling like it would never happen. Accidentally and rather impulsively, I asked her what she did last night. She wasn't sure if I was joking. I asked her to list the activities one by one. In the list of activities the night before, there was nothing to do with scriptwriting. It may have just been an off night. We played the same game for the two weeks prior, same outcome. Nowhere in her daily activities was scriptwriting found. She was looking to me for advice, but the truth is the answer was lying in her daily activities. If you have a dream to be or do something, it better be found in the activities you've done in the last 24 hours. Otherwise, all you are doing is cheating yourself and looking for answers in places where you won't find them. 4. You want the good life too soon. A lot of people are living this lie without realizing it. My own impatience killed my dream of being a musician, and it was because of this lesson. We want to live the good life far too soon. We think it will take months or a year. The reality is that achieving a big goal or reaching your ideal life is probably going to take at least five years or a decade or maybe even a lifetime. The good life is that way because it takes a long time to get there. You won't feel that you have reached the good life if you get it easily. What makes the good life feel so good is when you've had to experience all the struggles and thoughts of giving up to get there. No goal that comes easy feels good. You should want the goal to be hard and maybe even impossible. 5. The workload is double what you think it is. Spend time looking at the routines of your heroes or idols. You're going to be shocked. Whatever fictitious amount of time you think you need to be spending on your goal, you're probably way off. A few hours after work is nice, but the level you are dreaming about is well beyond that in reality. I remember reading about Kobe Bryant and thinking that if you trained every day, you might have a chance at playing in the NBA and achieving some of his milestones. As you start to read about his life, you pretty quickly realize that Kobe has done what he's done in basketball because he has a huge workload. He wakes up really early and has done more workouts by 9 a.m. than most of us would do in a month. Tim Ferriss is the same. He's written many good books, and it looks from the outside like he writes in his spare time. Each book seems to be written over a couple of jam-packed months. That is a lie too. Those who know Tim best will tell you that he's obsessed with writing and regularly goes off the grid to faraway places, in upstate New York where the forest is thick and there is an abundance of mountains, to write. The same has been true in my career, 
People email me all the time thinking that a simple question like, where should I publish my work, is the answer to why they're not where they want to be as a writer blogger. These questions are just a success hacking distraction that has nothing to do with the problem. I started out writing two articles a week, then four, then eight and about two weeks ago, I wrote 20 articles in one week. That same week also had some of the biggest results I've been able to achieve to as a writer. Coincidence? No freaking way. From the outside, it looks as though mastery in your area of interest is straightforward and can be done in 30 minutes a day. This is the lie of self-help and the goals you care about have a much more rigorous workload than the fantasies in your mind are telling you is the case. Double your workload. If that doesn't work, keep increasing your workload until you start to see a positive shift in your results. 6. Your gut rarely makes a mistake. What shapes our lives are the decisions that we make, right or wrong. When making a decision, we get a gut feeling about which is the right answer. Learning to pay attention to these gut feelings will make a huge difference. Like me, if you look back on all the decisions that you now know were the wrong ones, you'll see that your gut was right and you ignored it. If a decision feels wrong when you first need to make it, this is a clear sign of what you need to do. Even if it's hard, following your gut is crucial. And that is all for today's episode. See us again tomorrow for another exciting and interesting episode you'll surely love. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and share with your friends.